Well, Mike, we've got ourselves a good old-fashioned sell-off to start uh, this shortened week. Um, Beans down... Uh, what are we a dollar off the off the highs uh, we're down 60 cents 70 cents on the uh, on the week corn back down below seven dollars um, we did see wheat find a little bit of buying today but then sold off into the close to finish somewhere around unchanged wild wild uh, session here we had uh, crude down what eight dollars at one point today after a ten dollar or so move uh, uh, late last week is this all what we've been talking about with regards to potential recession is this a change in the in the environment when it comes to russia where 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 are we getting some of this some of this weakness i guess so Coming from a couple places, one, I do think that the recession fears are definitely there. They're definitely prevalent. And you have a lot of these markets with potential breakaway gaps. The other thing we got is we got the grain stocks report next week. We've got the end of quarter two next week and the end of the month. And you have the new crop contracts that are to be more focused. You have weather maps that continue to come in cool with some water precip and is very keeps fighting the narrative that it's going to be hot and dry, hot and dry. Mm-hmm. We were hot and dry for a week, but everyone seems to be getting somewhat of a shower, and it seems to be cooling down, and it seems to be exactly what we want. So it's difficult to continue to push that narrative when more reliable, shorter-term maps are showing you that it's just not coming to fruition, much like what happened earlier this year. Yeah, we've got – I mean, the tough part about this is that there's always going to be – uh, I don't want to characterize farmers as squeaky wheels, but unfortunately, that's how it goes. There's always going to be someone that didn't get a rain or got too much rain or it's too hot. You know, there's there's always going to be an area of the country, and sometimes it's multiple areas that are getting hit at the same time. I mean, shoot, we were 100 degrees yesterday. I can tell you from what I can see in my own backyard, our crop looks good. It looks really good. Now I'm not an agronomist. I, you know, but I've been around this stuff long enough to know when a crop looks stressed. It doesn't look stressed yet. Now I've seen some pictures of some some corn in southern Illinois. It's huge. I mean, we're talking shoulder high. It's you know, it looks really good. Now there's there's going to be others that show, you know, really dry uh, areas. You got cracks that are you know you can fit your hand into them that's just the way it goes that's exactly what we saw last year last year we had what uh maybe an eight-week span where we had two rain events that were three-tenths of an inch it's going to happen it's we you know this is why the genetics are what they are is they've gotten better at handling stress whether it's too much rain or too little rain or heat or whatever or too cold or whatever it is we handle that better i'm not saying it's going to be a perfect crop but it's right now especially with the way that the forecasts are lined up and this is not just me disregarding the fact that there there may be some concerns out there the forecast is showing us that there's going to be some rain mm-hmm. and you back off of this ungodly heat and you go into early July with normal temperatures, and yeah, maybe we're gonna pollinate a little bit later than normal, 
because we were a little later getting to the fields, we weren't, I don't think, so so ridiculously late that we're thinking last week of July, but maybe we back it off a week. I, I still think until you can prove that there's a pollination threat of too much heat not and no rain whatsoever, or maybe too much rain, depending on what it is, I think we're going to have a crop. And then it's going to be, it's going to be, what do we do in August for beans? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was last year we, we, we found a way to get hedged in, in beans at the end of July and it, it worked out pretty well, but there's always going to be, you know, now we're talking about two different crops in two different months and that weather can change dramatically. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, what do we have? I mean, what do we have going on that really could could give us a reason to to think that these gaps that were left uh were not breakaway gaps i mean is there anything that we were showing or do these markets just kind of these charts look sick right now they look sickly right now and it's something that we very well may see that 2011 type of movement where we just kind of get this large oscillating volatility on a sl- downward slope into the end of the year and try and figure out what's going on with the crop next year mm-hmm. but it doesn't look great because you did get those exhaustion gaps in these contracts and they filled up quickly they filled nicely and then you get a breakaway potential gap which it could signal that longer term cyclical movement is going to be lower. Yeah. And you've got a lot of reasons to think that that very well may be the fact. You've got palm oil that's starting to solve the years long problem yeah. that we saw. Down like, what, 25% in the last few weeks, last couple of weeks? Yeah, they're getting, they're getting more to the market. They are, from what it sounds like, being able to find and receive more help. Mm-hmm. Where in years past they haven't been able to because of all the restrictions from COVID, trying to get international workers in play, and then you have a lot of these larger countries that are calling for biofuels to be cut. You got EU calling for it. You got you've had background rumors and whispers for the U.S. side of things. Uh, some senators bringing bills to cut biofuel, and if we're going to look at how do we combat inflation and bring food prices down, that would be absolutely huge if we cut power fuels for it but at the same time how are we going to make the fuel cheaper and that's not going to help out so if we do hit this recession button you see money flow off the table you do see less people wanting to drive especially with elevated energy prices and you Mm -hmm. see demand for crude go out the window and you see biofuel go out the window and you see us with a crop and you see china who's been making deals with all these other countries for ag products and a decrease in hog uh, hog supplies over there so less feed needs and you see any kind of russia continued um, takeover of ukraine and they're able to really take a hold of the grain there and just ship it out to china uh, what is really showing us a further bullish movement from here. Right. Well, and that's that's the thing. A weather market is about all we have left. You know, you've seen the crude drop uh, now, what, 
twenty over twenty dollars off its off its highs just recently. Yeah, from and, last week to this week. Yeah, and so I mean we're we're starting a new downtrend, and it looks ugly, but it you know there are times where it has some fight to it, like coming four or five or even six dollars off the lows uh, today, and you know it's the the tough part about this is we've already talked about this with the you know the dow the the stocks themselves we've we gapped lower on the dow futures uh, what last last week right mm-hmm. and at this point we're nowhere near coming back to test that that gap i mean it was last i checked maybe 1500 to 2000 points away yeah, so a good chunk of change way at this point. Yeah, I mean, the the dominoes seem like they've started to fall. It's not necessarily all doom and gloom. There is still there is still potential that who knows what the next thing is, but it does seem like there's more writing on the wall because you get Powell on TV speaking to. Um, Congress today, and he's talking about inflation. He's talking about recession, and it seems like every economist out there is is trying to figure out how we can avoid a recession. It doesn't look likely. And then you've got the president on TV talking about uh, suspending the gas tax, the, the federal gas tax, um, for three months, and calling on Congress to do it. They, it's not a done deal yet, but that doesn't fix anything. How? With the supply chain issues, how do we see how do we see these this inflation fixing itself if we still have the supply chain issues? Even though you're seeing the interest rates going up or the rates going up, how does that fix? It's not going to fix the supply chain issue. So do we do we find a happy medium somewhere? So it comes into play that the Fed knows what it has to do mm-hmm. if it wants to combat inflation. But the problem is what they have to do is kill business. You need to take these large players, much like what we saw, think back to the 2020 when COVID hit. Mm-hmm. You had all these restaurants that were no longer buying food. So the food supply for the general public went through the roof and it was cheap yeah. because there was just so much excess of it. So Right now, everyone's still trying to fight for the same goods. You still have the tragedy of the commons going on. And if you want that supply, not to get bigger, but to just be more readily available for more people, you have to take out the larger players that are sucking that well dry so that the rest of them have the same amount. They're just less trying to take from that well. So that's what the Fed has to do. But they don't – not only do they not want to do that, but it'd be absolutely detrimental if they did that. Right. Okay. Well, let's talk. Uh, let's talk about uh, some other things that uh, we've got uh, going on. You mentioned this USDA report next week. It's the end of the quarter, the end of the month. Uh, you've got any inkling of what we might see on that? Is is the acres side of it going to be? worth anything or is it all going to be about the actual stocks the quarterly stocks that uh, that we have 
with what we've been seeing out of cash price in the country, I think stocks is going to be the bigger one to be watching. You've got this July corn contract that's completely diverging itself from the rest of the corn market. And seeing what kind of tightness we're actually dealing with, I think, is where trade's mindset is. Because we could be switching a few acres. It doesn't seem like anyone is really too gung-ho on us seeing a dramatic shift in acres. But you're definitely seeing cash being bid up across countryside for corn. So seeing where that is and therefore seeing where we're going to start with beginning stocks for this upcoming crop is going to be absolutely huge. Because right now, even if they don't switch acres, maybe we can down the road see a little bit of increase in yield if things start to continue to be cooler and continue to see rain. Right. So it really comes down to what are we sitting with with supply in the country. Yeah. And then we've, you know, you mentioned you mentioned basis, you mentioned cash, and we've got, you know, basis has been weakening for beans, it's been strengthening for corn. You've got the spreads that have basically erased all the inverse in the new crop uh, contracts. Now that we're back to maybe a minor carry into the March contract, uh, in and we're into a minor carry into the the July contract, where does that all does that turn turn us bearish? You know, now that we've gotten rid of that in, that bullishness of the inverse, or maybe not necessarily gotten rid of it, but we've lessened it. At what point do you look at it and say, okay, we're building a carry, but it's it's still very tenuous. At what point do you do you look at that and say, oh, now all of a sudden building a carry, we're that's significantly bearish. I think you have to watch it after this July contract goes off the board, or not right. even off the board when it, options go, options go off go on off. Friday, because you can yep. see a short squeeze. You can see it's it's really the idea of the short term versus long term. Long term seems like it's a little bit more neutral to slightly bearish short term still remains bullish with how the spreads are interacting so at what point does that short term start to agree with the long term yeah or what time does the long term agree with the short term yeah is really what you're gonna be looking at so i'd have to say after this options yeah. go off the board and we see some some movement on well it. i mean we've seen you know the, the there is still a massive uh, premium built into the July contracts over the August for beans or over the uh, the September for for corn. Mm-hmm. It's still a, a pretty significant uh, inverse there. You know, obviously the demand is is good. Um, I mean, is there uh, just looking at maybe guessing what the USDA could do uh, for Ukraine? Could we see a, a a on the next WASDI report a bullish argument when it comes to the Ukraine exports? Because, like you mentioned, Russia has been you know attacking. They supposedly I don't know if this has been confirmed. They took out a grain depot. Uh, uh, yeah, overnight south, southern port. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, you're talking about those exports aren't going anywhere, mm-hmm. and if they are, it's it's a trickle compared to what it used to be. When does the USDA or when do world entities start to recognize that? And do we start to see that come back into the market as a bullish uh, side of things? So that's going to be one of the best questions that we have, (laughs) because you have two countries, Russia and China, who are already very reluctant to give the full story of what's going on internally to the outside world. Mm -hmm. So, we have Ukraine that's saying that Russia is stealing grain. You have Russia that's obviously saying, well, no, we're not stealing grain. 
and you could be seeing them currently transporting grain out without anyone knowing because they just aren't reporting it or whatever it may be so it's probably something we're not going to actually know what's happening right now with that grain until years down the line well, and, and it's, it's the same thing with their actual production this year, too. I mean, we know what they're t- what the Ukraine is telling us that they planted, but just because it got planted doesn't mean that it's going to get harvested. Right. You know, with especially with some of the increased activity uh, by the Russians— they know where the they know where the Ukraine's bread is buttered. You know they know that that's where they're going to make their money if this thing were to go and they were you know the Russians were going to have to back out. They want to make sure they take as much as they can. Mm-hmm. And if you're taking out fields or you're damaging crops and as along the way, you're only bolstering how much control you have over that uh, that situation it's just it, it i have i have a hard time with this because i'm looking at the markets and i f- i still feel like there could be some bullishness to it but i see what we're doing over the last week or two weeks i mean we had a bullish week up until friday morning last week and then it fell apart and it's continued to fall apart this week and we're back down below $15 in beans and we're da- back down below $7 in corn it's hard to it's hard to hold that bullish outlook with the way that the the markets are are trading and and you know there's the eternal optimists uh, we talk about the gaps and and common gaps and all that stuff and and breakaway gaps and and there's the eternal optimists of oh yeah we're going to come back and try and fill that gap well, don't we still have a gap down at like four fifty-five or something like that, or four seventy-five in the in the continuous corn or the most active corn from last year? Yeah, and while at some point we probably will come back and fill up gaps, um, some of the gaps that are left from twenty twelve were not filled <laughs> until twenty twenty. Yeah, so I mean, you can have that, and eventually it'll come back. But right. So let's talk about another gapping situation here, and let's get your take on it. Um, the cattle market seems to be all over the place. Yeah. Uh, fats, feeders, you name it. I think feeders specifically have had three or four gaps in the last couple of weeks, the last three or four weeks maybe. And they put in uh, what looked like an island bottom yesterday. That August uh, contract uh, put in what looks like an island island bottom. So a bullish turn of events. We go and fill that today. Mm-hmm. What I mean, and then we left a we left a an hourly gap or an unreversed close uh, from yesterday. So, wh- what's going on in that market, or what should we really be watching? Is that how do you go from it looks bullish and pretty astoundingly bullish to where do we go from here? Yeah. So that August contract is actually gapped. And left island bottoms, island top. It's, it's gapped a lot around this 174 area, and it continues to do so. I think that's about the fourth gap we've had around that level. Mm-hmm. So, much like what we're talking about with these larger macro markets, it seems like this cattle market is very reluctant to want to run higher, even though, like last week, we had a $4 higher cash trade. Mm-hmm. It's very reluctant because while there isn't a perfect correlation to the Dow and to the equity markets, there is a very good correlation that when the Dow crashes, the 
livestock crash along with it. Right. So just because the market is moving higher doesn't mean that the cattle are going to move higher. But when that market crashes, more times than not, that cattle market's going to crash alongside of it. Do you do you put any uh, any stock into say like the the um feed grains and and any of that as far as you know if there's strength in in feed cattle see weakness or the uh, or vice versa is it or is it more of a more of a say macro based uh, correlation i think it's definitely there much like with what the, just talked about the stock market and how there's a correlation there when it crashes i do think on big up movements there is definitely price action that's taking place because of that relationship mm-hmm. you have people that are either locking in certain profits on a cattle crush bed or doing whatever they need to do in order to hedge their risk so there is that but with how these markets have been moving it's more so on extreme movements you see those come to come to light mm-hmm day-to-day it's it's very hard and difficult to see these relationships taking hold yeah well let's uh let's talk about another gap uh, that's out there the hogs hogs on the august contract i, I think you can do it on july contract as well but uh, uh july's running short on time um gap tire uh, i think it was on thursday or friday last week and we Two days uh, straight, higher higher trade. Today, I think, was an inside day. Um, no damage done. Uh, breakaway gap, common gap. What's your thought? With these livestock, I'm, it seems like more so common gaps than anything is what we're seeing out of them. Okay. It, doesn't, it, it seems like a lot of volatility based on the more macro picture, and it's not a lot of trending environments. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I have to point to more so common gaps, and we've just been making those broader movements than than anything at this point. Okay. All right. Well, then let's uh, let's talk um, um, metals, gold and silver. Longer term downtrend, but shorter term, it's it seems like they're just trading a range near the near the bottom at this point. It looks like a breakout, then it then it falls right back into the range. Um, What's your thoughts on on this market? Because I've had I've had people that have told me, you know, gold and silver perform generally pretty well in in a recession. Any any comment on that? Well, I think a lot of what's going on there is that, that more bottoming action taking place. It hasn't. We haven't been one hundred percent gun ho that we are in a recession. Mm-hmm. You have people saying that there's still a chance. There's still a chance. When you see everything just throw their hands up and say, I, I don't know what's going on. I can't explain this. This is terrible. Then I'd say what you're looking at is more so that flight to the precious metals. Sure. And it just seems like we're making that rounded bottom action right now. We're just kind of moving sideways, waiting for that really good sustained breakout, saying that, okay, we're all on board. We all think the recession's here, and it's time to pile into something that we are looking at for more of a safety asset. Right. Okay. All right. Anything else that you want to uh, you want to cover as we uh, as we close out this uh, this episode? I know there's a, we've talked a lot about the the charts, and the reason I I ask you obviously is because you do have an expertise in the charts. But I think it opens up things a little bit differently. gives gives our customers and gives our listeners a better way to uh, to think about the markets rather than 
is it raining? Is it not raining? It's it, you know it doesn't all come down to fundamentals. Yes, fundamentals do have their place in this, but to be able to to think about it more in a in a detached, I guess, logical way than emotionally, because it's easy to see what's going on in your field. Mm-hmm. But it is a more emotion, more uh, you know, a tactical way. I guess is the best way to do it. Yeah, and it's something that I think that over these last couple of years, especially since 2020, it's really changed how people look at these markets and trade these markets. And there's been a lot of turnover in our industry. And it's a lot because a lot of people have not been able to update their knowledge with what we're seeing. Not to say that we do it the best, but having that idea about how do you reduce noise in a very noisy market? Mm-hmm. How do you go about measuring the psychology of the market and when things can happen that don't make a whole lot of sense? Like when we come to the end of a quarter and remembering that, taking notes and going back and testing yourself, it's it's a lot of change and adaption right now to how we're going about and that's where you see these mass levels of volatility is when you see this mass change on micro scales and you're seeing these companies that do great when they can measure risk easily Mm -hmm. and you have a general knowledge about how things are going things are moving smoothly everyone can do well then it's when you have paradigm shifts that it's time to grow or die. And right now, and really the last couple of years have really been a big paradigm shift. So taking your strategies, seeing if they're making sense or if it's something that needs to be adjusted with the times is definitely the time frame we're at. Look at what you're doing, why you're doing it, and if it still makes sense, I'd say is by far and large the biggest lesson you can learn over the last couple of years. So if you guys have any questions, please give us a call. That's 800-2-MARKET. Again, 800-262-7538. But today for Allendale Market Talk, this is Mike Lung and Greg McBride signing off. Thanks, everyone.